How to be an artist. Step three, the invincible summer with guest Cole Glass. One idea from you that I really liked that, that you kind of shared with me is this idea from uh, Camus. I'm not sure where this comes from, if this is from an essay he wrote or what, but you kind of shared this idea about how he said um, something along the lines that I find within the darkest winter that inside of me there's an invincible summer. Is right. that how it goes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then like, so, no matter how hard the world pushes, the, I push invin- back. the invincible summer pushes back just as hard. Okay. Something like yeah. that. That's paraphrased. <laughs> uh so maybe we'll start with this why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about like uh your discovery of that how that and that how that kind of like fit in with um i don't know maybe the challenges uh you were kind of looking at as as an artist or even personally how that like reflected on you personally uh we can kind of dive into that story and then yeah. we can see how things kind of radiate from that from there um, I just found the quote. It's in the midst of summer. Oh, sorry. In the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. Um, <clears throat> and that makes me happy for it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me within me, there's something stronger, something better pushing right back. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was I had this interesting thing where um, I, uh, you know, like growing up Mormon, being Mormon, um, I kind of felt like there needed to be a, um, like a really sunshiny optimism to what I created. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't very long before I realized that just wasn't, that just wasn't in my DNA. Um, when I told my parents that I wanted to uh, I was going to go and study film. My mom got really excited and she was like, you can make seminary videos. <laughs> and I was like, do you know me? Like this, like, like I've never been anyone who's ever had any interest in that. Like I've always just had a very dark and kind of, you know, like the grittiness of truth has always really been really appealing to me. And so mm-hmm. as I've gone through, you know, my career and like studied my, my film studies and like started off as a professional and everything, I kind of came to this opinion that like I needed, I needed my demons to allow me to create um, the way that I felt, you know, was true to me, but also mm-hmm. to kind of like, put off that stereotype of Mormons being like really optimistic and really Pollyannish and like, you know, Oh, if you're a Mormon, you're going to make a movie about, you know, Mormonism, then it's going to be this self congratulatory, you know, faith promoting, um, pat on the back, pat on the back. Congratulations. You're in the right religion, all this stuff that like, you know, and it's true, like as, as a Mormon filmmaker, I would talk to people and people would have that misconception of like, oh, this is what you want to create then. Oh, you want to, you want to create the, you know, you want to put the Book of Mormon on celluloid or whatever, however this thing is. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like I had no interest in that. And so I was like, to kind of like combat that misconception, that stereotype, like I need my demons. 
and my demons yeah. are making me gritty. It's given me an edge and it's given me an advantage over people who, I mean, this is kind of unfair to say, but I did literally think that it gave me an advantage over people who did want to put their testimonies out into art. And I was like, because that never felt true to me. And I'm like, I yeah. have, I have this thing that's gnawing on my soul that will always allow me to tell the truth. And Do you, uh, <clears throat> was that, is that something that you would say is like made you feel more valid and authentic too? that you could say like, this is an authentic thing. This is me. And for someone outside of the realm of Mormonism, you felt like it's something that they could respect. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate. Absolutely. Like I loved, I loved when, you know, I, people would watch something I did and it would throw them for a curveball. And I never, I never wanted to go and like, wallow in gratuitousness like that's not what i wanted but i wanted yeah. to tell a truth that is that i felt like my culture blinded themselves to and that was let like life is gritty life is hard um you know just because you are a member of this church doesn't mean that you don't make horrific choices that really damage other people and that's something yeah. that we never like we like we always pretend like that doesn't happen. It's like, oh, you got baptized and now you're good. You're not Everything's gonna, great. Yeah, you're not going to hurt anybody anymore. And you're not and you're not going to make any bad choices and everything. It's like, no, and like what if we started talking about how where the system isn't working so well or where it doesn't work at all. And I was very interested Which in is that by the stuff. way, by the way, I think that's like one of the things I really appreciate about the work of someone like Orson Scott Card mm -hmm. and why he was such an important influence to me growing up. Mm. is is seeing someone that was a you know active active uh mormon member which in in at that time it's like he's safe you know but yeah. then seeing him he, he, you know his work has kind of this this tone that pervades it of of like sadness oh yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and that's like that's it's much more of of true to his work than any sort of like cheery you know, evangelical thing you might expect from a Mormon. Yeah. I, um, I remember the first time I read Ender's game mm -hmm. and my, I didn't, I don't think I knew that he was a Mormon when I started reading that book. And mm -hmm. then my mom said, Oh, that that's the Mormon. Like that guy's Mormon. I'm like, what? You know, and there was some mentions about Mormonism. So I'm like, Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. And then he had like some comment where it's like, you're just a fart in the air conditioner. And I was like, wait, what? Like Mormons can, like, I know that like my brothers and I are talking about farts, but like an adult like, here's it. Yeah. An adult in writing, you know, like this is, yeah. and it, and it was funny cause you know, my, my teenage brain was just like, well, he, he must not be a very good Mormon then because he's talking about yeah. farts and print. And you know, <laughs> that was, I think that was that kind of thinking that when I, by the time I got to be creating, I was rebelling against where it's like, yeah, guess what? Mormons are like everyone else. Yeah. They have every other problem that every other person has. And I'm going to show that. And a lot of my stuff isn't based on Mormonism, but I felt like, you know, if, if Orson Scott Card can talk about farts in an air, air conditioner, <laughs> then I can talk about like gritty, darker things and, yeah. you know, and I, I know I've made, you know, I mean, the only people who've ever really talked to me about how they felt uncomfortable is like family members and stuff like that. But I'm also just like, for me, that just feels way more true when you look yeah. at the whole picture instead of just like, 
hey, you know what? Let's just look at the, the don't, don't look at the shadows. Just look at the light part of this picture. And it's like, no, you're not looking at everything. And that was kind of where I allowed my demons to just kind of like, you know, well, no one's looking over here. So I'm going to, I'm going to point you over here, you know, and I kind of had this thing and it was definitely a little bit of e egotism, you know, like I was really kind of like, this is my thing and I'm going to, you know, whatever. And I, like, I want to be iconoclastic, but I don't want to be too iconoclastic and, and I don't want to, that it was, it was a weird journey that allowed me to kind of just leave a lot of issues in that were going on inside of me, like unaddressed because I was worried sure. that if I was to address some of these issues, if I was to go to, you know, therapy or whatever and figure these things out, then suddenly I might turn around and just be like, you know what I want to do? I want to do a film version of my testimony. Like I was really afraid of that. <laughs> And it would make you, it would make you uninteresting. It would be if you so uninteresting. And I like it, like my demons were the, everything that, that was like my mental illness and all of this stuff. When I say my demons, I am talking about my mental, mental illness. That's what okay. made me work. I, I, you know, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, would you be okay if like going into a little bit more detail about what, how those things manifested in you in particular, like what you would describe as your demons? Yeah. I, <clears throat> um, I deal with and have dealt with uh, anxiety and depression. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, we're talking like the 90s, right? Like the, the early 90s when I first started feeling this. And I didn't know what it was. Um, a lot of times, um, a lot of times like, you know, the way, the way we were raised and the way, like we were told, I'm not, and it's funny because like a lot of the really, really damaging things that I was raised on, like didn't come from my parents. It came from yeah. like Sunday school and seminary and things like that. My parent, like when I look back and was like, well, did my parents ever tell me that like when I feel bad, that's because I lost the spirit. No, they never said that, but I heard that all the time. And so, you know, when I'd feel sad, I'd be like, oh man, what I did. And my anxiety didn't really, my anxiety didn't really become a, a huge issue. Like I would get sad, I'd be down or whatever. But when I went on my mission, it just like rocketed. And I was for, I was sure that like, it was because I was unworthy. And I, I, think, had, I think that's a very, very common experience for like young Mormon yeah. men too. Yeah. When you're, yeah. when you're, yeah, it's, told, like it's on your mission, you, you have all that stress, you know, of being a missionary and you have this thing where you've been taught it's not okay to feel bad, you know, and yeah, suddenly it's not okay to feel bad. And when you, when you <clears> offend the spirit, the spirit leaves you and you, and you can feel it leave you. And so you're sitting there going, well, I'm certainly not feeling the spirit. And there were times when I was just like, convinced that I had committed some major crime that I had blocked out psychologically mm. blocked out and and you know I'd go and I'd like talk to my mission president I would try to confess I was reconfessing sins um <laughs> you know like going back over like maybe I just didn't do it right the first time or the second time or whatever and it wasn't until like 10 years after my mission that I was diagnosed with anxiety and and um and it was like oh 
and I remember I was talking to, I was talking to like my therapist and he was like, and I was like, I really wish I would have known that on my mission that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that I wasn't like spiritually, you know, betraying the Lord by being there and stuff like that. And um, yeah, let me just, if I can just say like real quickly, like that's one th- kind of funny. Um, my dad just returned from being a mission president in, in yeah. Spain for, for three years and it's like amazing how much that was a part of, of his job. Like, um, I heard so much from him. That was just a constant issue was like dealing with mental illness yeah. of missionaries. And like, they had a therapist that there was like a therapist that worked with their missionaries. They oftentimes had to figure out, you know, medication. A lot of the stuff was diagnosed, like on the mission, like that was part of the process was like diagnosing these missionaries, getting them counseling. And so they'd be doing counseling on the mission, getting them medication. And, you know, sometimes they actually have to make the decision like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be out here. But so I think at the very least, maybe it's getting better for, for, for missionaries, but those definitely, those resources definitely weren't there for. No, I remember my sister, Um, right around this time that I got diagnosed with anxiety, my sister was on her mission and she was going through really bad. I I actually suspect that my sister, my littlest sister has like the closest mental illness to me. Like I have brothers, you know, I have one brother who just deals with a lot of depression and stuff like that. But, um, my little sister, her anxiety Mm. like manifests itself a lot in perfectionism. And so we like, we were talking a lot while she was on her mission. I'd, I'd email her about this and be like, Oh, I just got diagnosed with anxiety and stuff. And, you know, she just mentioned that, yeah, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the mission, you know, therapist. <laughs> and I'm like a mission therapist. Like what the heck back when I was on my mission in 94, 96, it yeah. was like mental illness did not exist. It did like, like therapist if you you went to therapist if you were like a juvenile delinquent you know like who's and it and it just blows my mind that now you know like i'll be talking with somebody and like now we talk about we're like oh yeah i went to a therapist or i'm going to a therapist and there's like no shame there's no there's not even a hesitation to even reveal that because i feel like it's so widespread but back then it is so like it was so Mm. i feel like it was such a twisted up time and, you know, you're just sitting there begging, praying, praying, praying mm-hmm. that you can understand why you feel this way and to stop this feeling this way. And, you know, I, it, it was an interest, it's, it's been an interesting thing. And I, I know that that definitely like heavily influenced my creativity as I kind of went off into this creative world of like coming from you know, feeling like I, you know, I just spent two years unworthy on a mission and, you know, like kind of blew my shot to like all the things that we feel like are promised to us if we serve missions and all this stuff, you know, that, and then to kind of move on into like a, uh, I mean, I would definitely say that like moving into a more creative era of my life was very therapeutic, but it was still like, like I said, I, I, I kind of protected my demons because I wanted, I wanted to be tortured. I wanted to be, you know, um, like I wanted to have that grit and that edge and that I feel like was, was missing in, in so many of my fellow, you know, 
yeah. filmmakers and stuff like that. Yeah. Of course they were all dealing with their, everyone's dealing with their own demons. But from my perspective, I just felt like I wanted to, you know, I needed to stay, I needed to keep this, like this horrible thing inside of me. Yeah. And other people's way of dealing with that, I'm sure is just like, Oh, here's this thing I need to cover up or avoid or transform or ignore or however everyone's dealing with in different ways. And your way was to kind of like put it in this special little, you know, pocket and carry it around with you and, um, you know, protect it in a certain way. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure that a lot of people deal with what they're dealing with by trying to make something incredibly righteous, like trying to make something faith promoting, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if I'm going to feel this way, then I'm going to create this. And maybe, maybe that can be an offering to the Lord that will finally release me from this. I I guarantee there've been people like that in all, all forms of art. There's, there's this phrase from, I think Theodore Roosevelt where he says something along the lines of like his, his approach has always been to outrun his demons. And I think, um, and I'm sure I've totally misquoting that, but, um, I think that's very common within Mormon culture. The approach is like, okay, you got to like outwork, you have to like do outdo the demons, right? Like if you constantly yeah. stay, stay busy, if you do enough good things that that's going to like be this purifying to, process. Kind of breaking up a little bit. You hear me? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're getting there. Well, say that. Say what you're saying, my I was just going to say, it's kind of, um, that doing a lots of good works is kind of this purifying process. So a lot of, for a lot right. of Mormons, there's very much this culture of like staying busy, being productive, um, accomplishing good things, accomplishing a lot of stuff, you know, busyness is very much a part of the culture. Yeah. And I mean, it, to be fair, this is a very common thing, I think with a lot of religions sure. where, um, you know, an artist will see, an artist will see um, their ability to create as like some kind of chance at salvation. Absolutely. And, you know, like we, and we have some incredibly beautiful works of arts and art and stories and stuff like that, because they had those, those opinions about themselves and about what they could accomplish. But um, I believe that in the end, it's just all untrue. Like, it's not like you're not, well, I, I probably should stop back, start back and just be saying, like, I saw this video um, of David Lynch talking about transcendental meditation. And it was very it was a very pivotal thing for me to get. Um, that was a very that video convinced me to, like, uh, learn and practice transcendental meditation. But I saw it years and years and years before I ever actually did any like, you know, look it up and um one of the things that he talks about was he's just like you know anger depression um like negativity like are really good things for a story like you want the story to be dark and twisty and all these things but they're like poison inside the um inside the artist Mm -hmm. and he basically just says this idea of demons like the demons are going to end up being a creative liability for you the more the more you hang on to these things like yeah they might motivate you at to to a degree but 
at some point they're going to stop. They're going to stop you from creating. Oh yeah. And, and I was able to kind of look back on my own periods of time where I was like really suffering with these things. And I was very uncreative. Like I wasn't, you know, like my, my moments of, of the greatest suffering don't equate to my moments of the greatest creation. And so I, I really started thinking about that. And I was like, I think he's right. I think that, I think that like to be a really functional artist, a storyteller, like you need to be a really functional person. Yeah. And you need to have this, um, like you need to kind of be emotionally free enough to kind of move any point in life. If you're going to tell a story, you know, like no character, no situation, um, can be limited to you by your emotions. If you're going to be a true storyteller. And I understood that mentally before I understood that like long, long before I understood that emotionally, yeah. Are you saying and, just just to make sure I understand you there? So you're kind of saying that like you have to be unencumbered emotionally and have some sort of like freedom emotionally just so you can explore kind of the variety and the diversity possible of just like experiences of different characters to say like oh here's all these different points of yeah. views, all these different ways of looking at the world and feeling and thinking and I need to be able to explore that without being too much encumbered by my own uh, stuff or if that makes sense, like emotional weight. Yeah. Well, and this is, and this is kind of jumping forward quite a bit, mm -hmm. but um, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with a lot of negativity mm -hmm. and you're dealing with a lot of like, just, you know, like pain, in whatever version you're feeling it clouds you and you cannot see and also like you know one of the things that i learned when i was finally able to to be free of this stuff was that we we sit around and we define ourselves we have these self definitions and they're for the most part they're pretty negative mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like um we used to always laugh at one of my friends because, you know, anytime in high school, you know, anytime something bad happened to him, he, he would always say, I always get screwed. <laughs> and we would always laugh because it was a hilarious thing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, Taco Bell is out of Taco Bell sauce. And he's like, I always get screwed. And it's a funny thing, but that was a belief, right? Like that was a belief that he had that like, things aren't going to turn out for him. Yeah. And <clears throat> when you have beliefs like this, and this could be anything, right? Like it could be like things don't turn out for you or nobody thinks you're important or I'm always a failure or all of these things, like yeah. confirmation bias starts working on you, right? So like the times when my friend did get Taco Bell sauce at Taco Bell, he didn't say, you know what? I don't always get screwed. He never, he never applies it to that. Yeah. It's only like, it's only the beliefs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so when you're like that, and I feel like so many people are like that where they have these self beliefs and you don't want, like there are things that you secretly believe about yourself 
that you desperately don't want to be true, but you suspect are absolutely true. Yeah. And so if you suspect that you are not important, that no one thinks you're important, and all of a sudden somebody treats you like you're not important, like them's fighting words, you know, like that is a trigger and you will get angry and you will hurt and you will thrash and stuff like that. I think the one thing you have to be kind of careful about there is, uh, you know, at the same time, there, there's this kind of confirmation bias, but um, you also kind of just have to like recognize, recognize it's there. You know, if you do have yeah. that part of you that thinks like, I always get screwed. It's, it's, I, I mean, I think the approach we can sometimes take is to be like, I need to start having more of a, of a positive attitude. I got to change this negative attitude. Right. And, but the, the yeah. fact is there's still that part of you. There's still that part of you that's really scared of of that being reality and you kind of have to acknowledge that you can't, you know, in some way, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Pep pep talks to the opposite. Don't necessarily deal with the underlying belief. Yeah. Right. That that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no, I'm going to have a good attitude. Well, whatever's dealing with, you know, that's that, that belief is, is still there. Yeah. And so when you're a storyteller, when you're an artist and your job, is to observe the world and then hand it back to the world Mm. in a consumable format. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a poet is going to like, you know, see an experience and then, then they're going to write a poet, a poem. And then we're going to read that poem and we recognize the truth because we're like, I know that experience, but you put it in a beautiful way. You know what I'm saying? Every story, every piece of art, everything is kind of saying like, Hey, I've just observed this in the, wor- in the world, and here it is back. Even the really fantastic stuff, yeah. I think, always has harkens back, right? And so, if you're an artist and you're a storyteller, and your job is to observe the world and observe people, and observe, you know, like, and then and then like assimilate that, and then create something with it. How can you do that when there are things that are triggering you to more pain? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like you need to be able to, when, when somebody treats you like you're unimportant, you need to be able to stop and look at that person and understand why they would treat another person like that. And you can't do that if you're angry because that person just treated you like you're unimportant, you know? Yeah. And so like in my like kind of journey from like understanding that like my demons are a liability, I kind of understood that like, like getting rid of the it's not just a liability like getting rid of them and being able to see clearly see people and see life clearly that is a that is an asset that that's going to make me much much better a filmmaker because i'm seeing things and i'm you know i'm absorbing things and i'm not rejecting anything because nothing threatens me right if you feel threatened by anything like if you be if you're threatened by you know if you're a, if you're a, a liberal who's threatened by conservative opinions or a conservative who's threatened by liberal opinions like you're not seeing the picture and so anything that threatens you blinds you i i think there's kind of i think there's some, something kind of interesting here that it, it seems at least from what you're saying that it's not just about it's not just about like the thing itself that's like the demon it's the demon itself isn't necessarily like negative feelings but it's it's also kind of how you relate to the negative feelings, right? 
Like it's right. like not wanting to right. look at them is, is kind of the thing that's really causes the problem or accept yes. them. And, and the reason we don't look at things is because we have a belief inside of us. We have an incorrect belief inside of us that doesn't, doesn't want, like doesn't want any kind of confirmation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, a lot of times when people are like, I can't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I'm this, it's like usually because that's threatening something that they believe about themselves that they don't like, yeah. you know, and that might be an oversimpl- also oversimplified statement, but I think it's kind of getting at the roots of what's going on with people. And I know that like a lot of my learning about this stuff is me looking at stuff and going, okay, so a lot of times now if something makes me upset you know like um if something triggers that then i can stop and say okay why like what is what belief system in me am i am i maintaining that is making me upset that you know they didn't do my notes on the film i'm working on and kind of did something else like why does that bother me because before that used to be like, you know, something that would be just devastating because I was defining myself with those things. But now I, you know, now I can kind of say like, that doesn't define me. My last project doesn't define me, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that has nothing to do with my worth. Um, and you, you know, you can start like my last, um, I mean, just like full disclosure, the, the film that I'm, I just directed uh, isn't turning out the way. I'm hoping it to turn out. Yeah. And it's been very disappointing. It's been a very disappointing, like last couple of weeks hmm. to see like us work so hard to get this filmed a certain way and then just have it like go off the rails. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think two years ago, this would have caused me to have like an emotional breakdown. This would have had just like absolute like anxiety and panic attacks and all this stuff. And now I'm okay with it because first off, I was hired to direct a movie for somebody, you know, it's their movie, they're paid for it. Like they have every right to make every choice that they made. Um, They are happy with the movie. They're happy with me. These are things that I can say, okay, let's, you know, like that's good. The other thing is I had a total blast making this up until like two weeks ago. This was something that I was just really, I really enjoyed. And just because it didn't turn out at the last second doesn't mean that the enjoyment that I got, the fulfillment that I got was any like negated in any way. Right. Like it it was a really fun project. I really enjoyed making it. It didn't turn out the way I wanted to. That doesn't ruin all of the good stuff. Right. And so, so that was kind of like, but there are these little, like you're saying, like I'm not devoid I'm not devoid of bad feelings, but I try to use my bad feelings as like red flags to kind of cue me in on what's going on inside me. Yeah. They're they're usually pretty good signs of of like areas to investigate, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Like I was putting, I was starting to use this film to define myself. Hmm. That was why I was getting mad that no one was listening to my, my, my notes. Yeah. And all of a sudden afterwards I'm like, okay, but this doesn't define me. I'm so much more than just a filmmaker. And I'm so, so much more than just this project. Yeah. Um, and it, it, like, it's legitimately d- disappointing. And I can't just sweep those away. 
Sure. But I'm also like, I can put them in perspective. Dude, you know? that is, that's such a big issue. I think, uh, being an artist and, and part of the problem is just making art. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Uh, maybe this is true of other types of jobs, but I feel like it's especially true with art that it's, you have your identity gets so wrapped up with it. Um, and so when you do a job, especially when it's a job for someone else, like you want your voice to be in that thing. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I had that, that was, yeah. that was an issue all the time for me working with games. And I think I had a really hard time, like letting that go and being like, dude, I'm putting together some really awesome stuff. It's getting rejected, you know, and having that feeling like you're getting your voice, you know, stamped out and trying to be able to let that go yeah. and to be like, okay, look, this isn't, this work is not me. You know, you want this thing to validate you to, to, to show you, you know, prove that you're okay, that you're whatever, a good person or a worthwhile person. Um, but you know, being able to say like, there's part of me that's, I don't have to define myself as an artist. I don't have to define myself with this work. You know, it is possible just to like do a job and get paid to do a job. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the things that we do as artists is we get so result oriented that we forget that we got into it because we love the everydayness, right? So, you know, like a lot of times I can say, you know, oh man, this isn't turning out. This isn't working. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be here. But now lately I've just been like, okay, cool. Like you chose this because you love it and you love it because you love what you get to do every single day. Yeah. Like don't throw that out. Don't throw that out just because you write a screenplay that you loved writing and it never gets made. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't matter. You wrote a screenplay that you loved writing. Mm-hmm. And every day you get to do something awesome. And as long as like, you know, I try to keep these like, uh, I don't want to call it a vision board, but I have like a collection of things that like I, you know, sometimes I'll look at them every day. Do you kind of remind do you like, me of them. Do you like cut out um, like letters from magazines and have them spell yeah, inspirational for, like, words? Like ransom letters and stuff? <laughs> no, like inspirational no. words, like love, motivation, friends. No, oh, okay. not that. But I do have like a, I do have like an album in my in my photos okay. that I'll go through, and they'll be saying stuff. And one I just made was called "Work is its own reward," mm. right? Like, like I need, I. It's so easy for me to forget that because I am so, like, I'm a very results oriented person, and I just think, you know, I wake up and I'm like, uh, I got this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, you get to do this. Do you love doing that? Yeah you get to go do that. Like, how great is this? You know, yeah. who cares if, if anything ever gets made or if it does get made, it turns out horrible or whatever, because I get to do work that is rewarding in and of itself. Well, this, this is something I was, I was chatting in my other discussion uh, with Jersey the other, other day that, that there is this, this um, vulnerability that I think is kind of peculiar to art where mm. I th- artists, I think, feel like they constantly have to justify themselves to the outside world, to the non-art world. Right. And so when yep. you don't have something that you can like show and, you know, if it, whether it's money or whether it's some sort of like product that's like exactly how you want it to be, you know, then we start getting concerned about like, okay, how are, how are responsible people going to think of me? You know, if I don't right. have something to show for, for what I've been doing as an artist. Yeah. And I, it, it's, it's a weird thing because it really shouldn't have that much 
to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, like somebody could make, you know, like someone could be a chef, like they prepare food, right? They could love doing that, but that food is going to be consumed and like, there's not a lot to show for it. Yeah. Right. And so then you need to stop and say, well, where's the value? At what point is there value? Is the value in the fact that there used to be a mill, but now there's, it's gone? Mm-hmm. Or is it in the preparation? Or is it in the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's a, that's a really interesting, you know, like where does, where does the value of art begin? And, you know, I would argue that it's, it's in the doing. It's in the, like, hopefully you love it. And I, and I know certain people who are like, they love having made a movie or they love having written a book. Or mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, but they don't love doing it, and <laughs> I really hope those people are super successful because man, they're getting nothing out of it. Yeah, unless they are successful, right? But I, I honestly, I've I would had, say that the 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 balance does fall on on both. Like I really really enjoy finishing something that's difficult, but there yes. there certainly are times in the process where I'm like, yeah, this isn't, I'm not having fun right now. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's, that's something that I've realized is that there's like this weird, like, you know, there are, I've, I've talked with filmmakers who just, I mean, there's a grind for mm -hmm. sure. Right. There's a grind for every art. You got to grind it out. You remember the old, uh, um, Guillermo del Toro quote. We both heard live at, uh, um, Comic-Con that one year. Right. The, uh, is it the everyone can, can quit the film industry but you? No, no, no. The one that's saying when he said like making a movie is like eating a sandwich made out of shit. <laughs> sometimes yeah. there's a little bit more shit. Sometimes there's a little bit less. But there's always shit. Yeah. There's always yeah. That that's a, yeah, that is a great one. I remember um, us just like in tears watching like everything you would say every other, every other minute was just something that was just like so hilarious and like inappropriate. Yeah. Was that the, um, was that the Pan's Labyrinth yeah. uh, panel? Yeah. Cause that's the one, like a lot of people are like, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? I'm like, Guillermo del Toro once told me in a panel, there were like, you know, thousand people there. And he told just me that everyone can quit the film industry except you. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I share that with my classes and stuff like that, where I'm like, you know, think about that, like make that decision, you know, make yeah. that's where you're going to, the other, you can quit when everybody else quits. The other, the other great line he said from that talking about Pan's Labyrinth is he's like, Oh, there's, there's so many beautiful images in this. You're just going to, you're going to watch it and you're going to go into the corner and masturbate and cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. That was funny. You were there. <laughs> anyway, sorry, little tangent, but yeah, no problem. Um, what were we talking about? The, uh, uh, Oh, work, uh, like doing the work, yeah, the, like, the satisfaction yeah. that comes from doing the work, producing the work. And there's, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of satisfaction. And sometimes I'll try to explain that to people where they're just like, man, if things don't happen for me, you know, if things don't happen for me this year, then I don't know if I'm going to continue doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, do you like writing scripts? Because yeah. if the answer is yes, then you're not going to give up. But if you are just kind of good at it, but you hate doing it, then 
but I, but going back to what you're saying, I do love finishing things and I love having something to show. And I love yeah. when that thing creates opportunities and adoration and, you know, it's, congratulations it's nice, for me. It's nice to have a group of peers that appreciate the work that you do. Like that's really helpful to be able, I mean, for me, like finishing green monk, I didn't make very much money from that, but it's like, I did get respect from, from peers and peers that I respect for, for finishing it. So that's, that's very satisfying. Yeah. You know, so that's nice. Yeah, I mean, and I do think that there should be, there should always be some validation and some, you know, emotional reward for completing a project like that, that needs to always be, like there's always satisfaction, right? Like, you know, you work really hard washing the dishes and all of a sudden you have a clean kitchen yeah. and then you walk out of the kitchen, you walk back in the kitchen and you're just like, Oh yeah, I did the dishes. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's legit. Right. Like that is, that is valid, you know, reward there, but it's easy to think that that's all there is Yeah, in the value of creating is to have a, a finished product and then have that product be successful. Yeah. The, the fight, Where, the, the experience and the fight, this is, you know, this is one thing I really like about, um, let's say inside Lewin Davis. Um, yeah. Which speaking of like fear, like that was a movie when I read it, initially read about it. It's like, I don't want to see that. Cause it's like, Oh, here's this movie <laughs> in the log line. That's about a failed artist, you know? And I can remember that yeah, feeling yeah. of like, I, I don't think I can handle that. And it's become one of, one of the, my most like loved Coen brothers films because it's yeah. very much about like, no, it's in that film is very much about like, no, it's about, it's about the struggle. It's about the fight. It's about humping through like a bunch of snow to go to some recording session you know yeah um so yeah there's definitely something about that like when you go on an adventure part of the adventure is like is that you're fighting dragons and that you're crossing deserts and you know it's it's the struggle is part of the adventure and that's what makes you know getting that treasure at the end of it you know worthwhile yeah and i think i think certain people um you and i obviously but um, a lot, I mean, I think most artists are people who can see the value of that, of grinding and of, of, you know, like maybe the challenge, the fight in its of itself, blow by blow isn't fun, but there's a, there's a satisfaction that comes from it, like above all of it. You know, that there's like, there's been, there was one time when I did, a film uh, and then we did like a director's cut a short film and something happened with the proxies and the proxies got disconnected and so I had to go through the whole entire thing it was like 30 minute long short and like re by hand reconnect it back to the source footage hmm. and I will tell you right now that was not fun <laughs> like there was it was so it was so tedious and it was just fizz- like I my my body started just getting like muscle memory, you know, of like what I was doing, and it was just so mindlessly, you know. But I love filmmaking so much that I'm worth it. And some guy walks in and he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, this happened." And we're doing this. He's like, "Is it worth it?" And I'm all, "Yeah." Like <laughs> I already put my I already put effort into this film. Yeah. Like I I'm, I'm already going to do some put some more effort in. 
Um, there's people who, I think there's people who understand that. There's other people who are just like, ew, gross. Like, I don't want, I don't want to like, you know, I like, I like certain things about film, but I don't like, you know, like doing budgets or doing the accounting or whatever like that and stuff yeah. that's kind of more grindy. So I, I have this, I have this, this, uh, question about that or observation, and maybe this will get us back to, to Camus and see how that, that ties into everything. But yeah. so, so here's the question. We talk about the grind and how like, yeah, the grind's worth it. And, and at the end of the day, there's this, but at the same time, same time, I've definitely experienced for myself that there are times when the grind has been very soul crushing where I've like really yeah. struggled and struggled and struggled. And I can feel like the result of that is burnout, you know, just feeling like right. I, only, I'm, I'm done. The only reward you have is it's soul destruction. Yeah. And so I think there, there can be this unhealthy thing where, where the grind can kind of feed something unhealthy as well. And so maybe this gets us back to like the invincible summer idea. Um, because there, there definitely can be this experience that I've had where of making art and trying to make art where it's just been a very difficult process and where it feels like it, it doesn't feel like there's a momentum. It feels like the momentum is, is sometimes going, it, it, at least in the past, like the momentum is going in, in the opposite direction. The, the, the harder I try, the more I work, the more I do, the less I'm wanting to do this, you know, yeah. and just feeling like, yeah. oh, I'm so, so sick of like, having to feel like I need to uh, sketch in a sketch pad every day or whatever it is. Like I, I'm supposed yeah. to be like reading. I'm supposed to be reading. I'm supposed to be watching movies and reading comics. And I'm just like, I'm so exhausted with doing that. I'm just done with doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Does that, does that kind of feed into the, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but um, we do need to talk about yeah, the invincible summer at some point and, and how that, we that came to be. To yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting idea because, you know, like you look at, you look at somebody like, like take like a boxer, right? Somebody mm -hmm. who is trying to be a boxer. And I remember, um, there's a, in my little album that I look at, there's a, um, uh, a quote from Muhammad Ali and he talks about how he's like, I hated training i hated every second of training but you know i told myself to you know suffer now and be a champion later mm. which is very very result results oriented yeah right? but there is some legitimately like painful things about being a boxer and in a way that like i don't i if somebody told me like i i enjoy every aspect of being a boxer i'd be like yeah and have a hard i have a hard time taking that at face value um but there are people who love boxing right yeah. they love it and they would never give it up um and because of that it's like they're willing to go through the grind they're willing to go through the horribleness and i i look at that like you know reassembling my whole film by hand was like that where it was like yeah this is one of the horrible parts but I would not trade being a filmmaker right now. I still wouldn't, you know, like I love it. This is what I love to do. Even though there's a part like, you know, talking about like Guillermo del Toro's sandwich, right? Like there's just going to be a part where like, you know, yeah. it's going to be worse. So my question is, is that, is that kind of thing that you love being a filmmaker and you're grateful for doing it? Is that like the invincible summer for you or is that part of it or is it something else? 
not yeah I, i've never associated with those two things um i mostly i just kind of um you know like if we're gonna get back to the the narrative of my finding this invincible summer oh, okay okay because um, <laughs> <clears throat> i was kind of doing that before when i was like in suffering from you know and like main protecting and even sometimes like nourishing my demons yeah um I was still, I still had that like willingness to grind stuff out. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, it was, I mean, it's, it's a weird, and I'll, I'll tell this, try I'm trying to think how do I tell the story, but I basically just had this really, really profound moment that I, you know, I, I think of as like this epiphany. Um, and it was something where, you know, I, a lot of things were happening in my life where I was kind of thinking about like how good people were and how good I was and how that's really kind of just a perception of that person and a perception of myself. And I, I was, um, you know, right before I had this epiphany, I was working on a screenplay, trying to get it ready for a, uh, I was going to submit it to a film festival and see if I, you know, see how that would, how I could do on that. And I was polishing it up and I paid my submission fee and I hit submit and I thought I probably won't get in. And then I was like, you know, you just spent like, like not even counting, like how much you spent on that writing that screenplay but you just spent like two days polishing it up and getting it ready. And you just spent like 60 bucks to submit. Also, you can think I probably won't get in. And I started thinking about like, uh, again, that was kind of like, I mean, I probably don't won't get in is very similar to, I always get screwed. Right. Where I'm like, yeah, you know, like, why did I say that? Well, you know, I, I tend to not get into these types of things. And I'm like, well, like what, you know, you've gotten into film festivals. Yeah, like Why how about Sundance? Saying, was, was that not good yeah, enough for like, evidence of? <laughs> yeah. Like why, like, why do I have this belief that like things don't work out for me, you know? And it, at that moment, it just kind of, a lot of things in my life just culminated to that moment where I was like, you know, my whole life I've heard that I should like myself, that I should love myself. And I've always... I've, I feel like I've always been given really convincing arguments why I should love myself, but I've always dismissed it as something that was just outside of my ability to understand and to do. And I was like, maybe, maybe like I need to like do this for real, you know, like go in and figure this out. Um, and like, long story short, like I had this huge epiphany where I just understood how to, you know, love myself. And for a long time I'd talk about, Oh yeah. When I learned to love myself, but like what it really was, was just, uh, gaining the ability to accept myself Yeah, and not, and not say like, Oh yeah, you're pretty good. Except X, Y, Z, this, 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 if you could change these things, man, you'd be cherry. Right. But instead it's like, you're good right now. Like everything is, ev you are good right now. 
and that self-acceptance like i've i used to talk about it as like self-love or self-compassion but really it's to me it's a lot clearer as like self-acceptance yeah is the invincible summer right like that yeah this it's weird because like i started seeing all these things i could see like the gears of what was going on inside of me and i could see that like like when i would start reading about it i started realizing that like people have been talking about this for thousands of years right like um you know in transcendental meditation they talk about like the unified field and buddhism talks about it one thing and like all these people you know like i started i started what i did was i created these terms for myself and i realized that like you have the invincible summer and it's always there that's the crazy thing is like i didn't like yep i finally got my invincible summer no i found it it was, it was always, always there. there it was like yeah it was like you know something that just got buried but it's there you know that's uh that's that's so interesting that you say that i mean because i was i was curious about how you're going to answer that um but that's really one of the things that's been kind of a discovery for me as as well and this is one way you look at like meditation practice and specifically all the type of practices you can kind of clomp into this like mindfulness whole area and that's really what they're all about is like cultivating the ability to accept things as that is exactly as they are. So yeah. I, I had a, I did a, a coaching session with a um, meditation teacher named, named Kenneth folk. Who's one of the more like prominent um, teachers within like pragmatic uh, Dharma. Um, and he kind of had this phrase where he's like a thought, ex- he has this thought experiment. So, and it goes like this, you ask like, you know, are, are things anything different than they are? No. Are things exactly mm-hmm. as they are? Yes. I think I told this to you before, you know, and it's so yeah, yeah. obvious. It's I like the most it. obvious thing. But when he yeah. said it, he's just like, hmm, are things any different than they are right now? No. Are they exactly as they are? Yes. Um, yeah. It sounds so obvious, but I think there's something there. But I do think it's it's more than just this mental exercise of being like, oh, acceptance. Because it's it can sound like this very trite thing. Even saying the invincible summer can sound like this very trite thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. That, oh, there's there's something, there's there's a, a slimmer of hope somewhere there. But I think if, if you are very serious about that and I, I and you want like happiness, which I think is a, a very worthwhile goal to to look for, like there there is like practice and there's like work um, that needs to be done to get there, you know? And that's a lot of what I think about meditation. That's I think that's what it's doing, that it's just like, I have to practice over and over and over again this, uh, you know, this process of accepting what is. Um, yeah. And it's hard because there's a lot of subtle things. The more you do it, the more you see like, wow, there's all these very subtle, hard to see ways that I'm resisting what is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and then it's so interesting. Um, it's so interesting to compare the desire to create to the acceptance of what is, hmm. you know what I'm saying? That's because those feel, those feel counterintuitive. Yeah. Either you, either you accept what is, or you create something different. Yeah. And I have found that they're not so creative and they're not so counterintuitive, but That's they seem like they, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like the, an acceptance of what is 
empowers you to create. Okay, ex- ex- explain to, this a little bit because I'm very I'm I've, I've kind of been I taking better. I, I've been taking a little bit of a cr- uh, creative hiatus lately, so um, I feel like I'm I'm I've been good at accepting lately, but I haven't been doing a ton of creating. So I'm maybe just talk about it and see see if something comes out. Yeah, I I I mean I wish I could understand it better, but I just know that like okay, going back to talking about people who don't you know they're people who just really don't like the grind. Of mm. creativity. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think about a lot, and sometimes I say it, and sometimes I don't, when people are talking about, you know, oh man, like it takes so long. I don't, like, I don't, I don't want to write my screenplay or I don't want to write my novel because it just, it's, it's going to take so long. And like, my response is always like, that time is going to pass anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Like I've had that, you, I've had that same, that same thought. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's say two months, it takes you two months to write a screenplay mm-hmm. in two months. You can either have a screenplay or you can be exactly how you are right now for writing wise. Right. Like I'm yeah. sure there's some progression, but a lot of times when people say like how hard things are going to be or how long they're going to take, I'm just like, you know, that this is all like all the resources that you think you're saving by not doing it are passing anyway. Yeah. So like, what does that have to do with like acceptance for creativity? But I think that is like, like the time is going to pass anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you can accept things as, as they are, but things are going to be passing. Time is going to be passing. Your strength is going to be passing. Your focus is going to be passing. These things are, cannot be saved yeah. in a savings account. And so why not create what is, but a lot of things is like, you know, we're talking about recognizing what we can change and accepting the things that we can't. Right. And so one of the things we can change is we can create what we cannot change. What we do not have control about is how that thing we create is being received. Yeah. And so because of that, we have this like, um, Sorry, the dog barking. <laughs> well, I've got like kids running all over my house, so it's it's totally fine. Hey, by the way, I'm gonna you gonna chase down the dog. Uh, she's gonna. I think she's almost done barking. That's, she usually that's doesn't okay. bark too long. I was just gonna say that along those lines is is you would kind of think from Buddhism they would be all just about like accepting and whatever and letting whatever happen. There's kind of interesting stories within like the early Buddhist suttas where you have a pretty common theme of people coming to the Buddha and being like, um, Hey, I don't know when I'm going to die. So I want you to teach this stuff to me now so I can get this before I die, you know? And the, yeah. the Buddha at first will be like, I don't have time for this, but they convince them because they're, they're like, this is urgent. This is important. I'm going to die. I need to know this before I die. You know? And even the Buddha, I think might this might've been, you know, at least reported, his, his final words were something like, like strive diligently for your salvation. Um, and so yeah. it's okay. You got to find a balance in that. Cause you can, you can also drive your, yourself crazy worrying about accomplishing enough in life, but there is an right. urgency of, of if you can hold it lightly enough, there's this urgency that, you know, we have a limited amount of time. Time's going to pass either way. So, you know, yeah. what are you going to do with the time you are given? Um, to make it worthwhile. And if you, if you look at it like that way, 
creativity is not a rejection of how things are, mm-hmm. but it is being part of the flow of how things will be. Right. Yeah. So let's say you just say like, if you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? I like, I don't like my life. I don't like the way it is. I want to make it better. I want to like, I'm going to write, I'm going to write like the next Harry Potter and my life is going to be better. Mm-hmm. That is an accept. That is this, that is not accepting how things are. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit there and go, you know what? Yeah. Like I got trials, but I'm digging, I have all these things going for me. And because of that, tomorrow I'm going to write, you know, tomorrow I'm going to use my time to write because that time is going to pass anyway. Yeah. There, there is a sense too of it being like creativity is, is kind of an acceptance of, of who you are in a sense. And also like, it's an acceptance of the fact that there is this imaginary world that in, exists inside of us and taking yeah. responsibility for like, um, loving that and saying like, okay, this is good enough. This is worthwhile enough and beautiful enough that I'm going to do the work to express what is the the truth of my imaginary world to, to other people. Yeah. You know, it shows kind of love yeah. for yourself to say like, this is worth showing to other people, even though there's obviously a time delay, you imagine things in a certain way. And then, you know, it takes 10 years yeah. for that to actually get out right. <laughs> for other people right. to see it, you know, but, but I, and, and I think it can kind of be summed up like tomorrow is going to build it itself yeah with or without me mm-hmm. so i might as well put be part of it right like i'm going to go and build tomorrow with everyone else in my own way by writing you yeah. know and maybe you don't and you accept that too like you accept that yesterday was i did not contribute to yesterday as well as but and that's fine you don't need to you know like, there's there's really one of the tricks i think for for acceptance um is I mean, I don't know like where you fall on the whole idea of free will, whether we have free free will or not. Um, yeah. Um, for, from people that talk about doing lots and lots of meditation, like very long-term meditators, they seem to kind of have a consensus that free will is, is, is kind of an illusion. So, I mean, until I experience that myself, I don't really know, but I do think there's, there's kind of a benefit sometimes as a, as a practice of acceptance to kind of treat your life as if it's a movie you're watching rather than something you're doing. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean doing nothing. I mean, you're still, you will still do things, but to kind of sit back and just be like, okay, I'm not the one controlling this. Like there's no one in charge. Just pretend there's no one in charge and just kind of, kind of watch your life, sit back and watch your life. Um, and cause I think we have a lot of, a lot of the stress and strain and anxiety is this strain of like, I need to make my life a certain way. I have to force it in a certain right. direction. Um, and I think if you can kind of sit back and be like, let's, let's watch it, let's watch this movie. And you yeah. know, it's funny, you'll, you'll still do stuff even when you're sitting back and you aren't like trying to force yourself to do X, Y, Z, you're, you'll still do stuff and, um, it can still be kind of fun and interesting and, and active and creative. Yeah. So maybe yeah, that's another thing think- to try. I think that that kind of goes into um, like, I like that idea of just being like, you know, I I really do think that certain things are just going to happen. Right. Like, you know, uh, the, the Cuban missile crisis was like, 
the break. And, you know, it's easy to think like, whoa, we just got, or it's like, or, you know, that like nuclear war is not supposed to happen right then. Right. Like I, it's, it's easy to look at it. Uh, it's easy to look at life like that where like, especially in retrospect, right. Yeah. Like you look back and you're like, okay, like, whoa, do you see, you know, you see how that almost happened? But it didn't because it wasn't supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's easy to do that with your life. But, you know, if you're sitting there and you think that something else should be happening with your life, you're going to be um, blinded to things you got going on, you know? The That's a really that you good point. Truly, what do you say? That's a really good point. Yeah, just like you kind of like, you kind of like miss the opportunities um because you can you can be so overly focused and I mean goals are good and stuff but there there is kind of a point where you can be so laser focused on kind of yeah. one path that you miss the periphery and you see like all the opportunities out in the periphery you know and where if you can yeah. re- relax and sit back a bit and let things go a little bit life can be a little bit more about like Okay, what's arising? What's 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 happening here? Like, what's available? Um, and you can kind of, it's more, it's much more like surfing. I think the, the older I get, the more I think that surfing is like a really great metaphor for how you live life, because yeah. it's not simply. I mean, a surfer is not just some dude lying, bobbing in the water, getting carried around in waves, right? Like, there's there's a certain amount of skill and balance, and uh, actually a very high level of skill. To, to be a surfer and to kind of figure out how to stay afloat and how to navigate the wave. Yeah. But at the same time, that wave is, is having a big effect on what the, the circumstance and what the direction of that experience is going to be, you know, yeah, absolutely. and kind of accepting that like, there's all this, there's all this stuff I can't control and, and kind of finding a way to really um, skillfully navigate that and enjoy that and, and not try to like control the, the path of the wave. Um, you know, however it manifests yeah. in your life. Yeah. Like it's easy. It's easy to want to be a fighter pilot who can just like fly across the country in you know, minutes, but you're not, you're a surfer <laughs> and, <laughs> and you got to like deal with like how good the waves are that day. You know, how, how I'm like, and we, and I've, I think we've been hearing this a ton um, during this quarantine of like, you know, you can't control your situation, but you can record, you control how you respond to it. And I've just been hearing that over and over and over and over since this all started. <clears throat> and it's interesting just because like, you know, that's not a quarantine thing. That's like everything. Yeah, like yeah. you just need to, you just need to be accepted. And, and like for me, you know, there was a time when I used to be really, it used to really bother me that I didn't live in a house. You know, like I live in an apartment and I don't have a house. And it just really, you know, really, really bothered me that I was, you know, this far along in life and I didn't own a house and all this stuff. And then one day I realized that like, I actually have a pretty awesome apartment. And not only that, but I get to live in this apartment with my two favorite people, my wife and my little girl. You guys are in a great location. You guys, I, I yeah, know you guys pay great. like really good rent so to be exactly. where you are. Like, like there's so many good things about that situation. Yeah. But just because like I was raised to, to believe that like, you know, 
like once you're out of your if you're not if you don't own a house by the time you're out of your 30s then you're a menace to sorrow i don't know what the, the definite but there was just like some kind yeah, of shame well, put onto it yeah absolutely. and it's just total like it's total bs like this is just you know like everyone has things in their life that they can be grateful for and like if you start looking at those things you can get like amped about your life because you're like yeah you know I am healthy and I am like, yeah, I don't make enough money. I'm in debt, all this stuff. But like, you know, I have X, Y, and Z going on for me. Yeah. And I think that like, that's kind of it, you know, like going back to uh, what we were talking about with, um, you know, like accepting and creating and stuff like that is like, you know, instead of being like, I want to change how things are, you're like, I have an opportunity right now to create and I will love like I, I have 30 minutes. I have 30 minutes to work on my script and I'm grateful for that 30 minutes because I love writing scripts and I get to have 30 minutes of doing what I love. Yeah. Will that script ever been made? Who knows? That's too far down the road to think about <laughs> right now. It's like you're accepting what's happening. You're accepting the day as it is. And the day has provided you an opportunity to create. So you create. Like that's, and you get joy out of that creativity. I think that's, out of that creativity, I think that's what is like the Zen way of approaching, you know, your life and, and, and creativity and your pursuits. And instead of being like, I must dominate and twist reality to my will. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You're a surfer. You're just like, oh, sweet. This wave is me creating right now. Next wave is going to be me, you know, hanging out with my family. The next wave is going to be me doing the dishes. I don't like doing the dishes so much, so it's not that great of a wave, but it's still surfing. Yeah. And I still dig it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) You can't actually end talking call. That's not how you work. You just keep going. Just like, and I'm out of words. (laughs) Well, that's cool, man. Um, well, maybe that's a good good place for us to to kind of wrap up for today. So, um, I think we hit hit most of the most of the themes we usually cover when we sit down and, and chat. So, that's nice. I'm sure we can can dig up some other topics next time we do this. So, no, it's just uh, just go just go find your invincible summer. Oh, that reminds me. I I remember I've, I found a quote uh, by Rumi. That said, uh, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you've built against it. And that for me, like finding, getting access to my Invincible Summer was exactly that. Like my Invincible Summer was there and I had just, I had like trash and debris and, you know, like stuff in the way. And I just had to go do like, I had to like wipe it all off and get it off before I, I could really be there. But it's not like I invented it. It wasn't created within me. It wasn't like it was something that was always there. And I found it. You've been listening to How to Be an Artist. To support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash H2BNA.